I really thought about it. And I said, you know, I don't want to get pregnant that bad that I would risk leaving my child without a mom. Hi, this is Mary May. Welcome to One of One, a podcast made by and for only children. Motherhood is something many only children aspire to, but sometimes life doesn't always go according to plan. My guest today, Sandra Franco Larson, grew up always expecting to be a mom someday. But a failed marriage and near-fatal stroke in her 30s changed her life and health. Through it all, however, she always believed that she could find love and motherhood, and so she has, just not in the ways she expected. Sandra's the stay-at-home mom of a spirited little girl and an aspiring memoirist. Our conversation today took place via Skype. So Sandra, I'd love to hear the story of how you got your name. My mom said that she always she always liked the name she that she heard the name a little girl in the apartment building that they first, when they were first married, they were living in. She had heard a little girl named um, Sandra, so she always liked the name. And she was deciding between Cynthia and Sandra. My dad always joked that he was going to name me Jackson because he liked Jackson Brown so much, whether I was a boy or a girl. But my mom overruled her overruled him on that one it's probably a, a good decision yeah no, she, she, she said one of the reasons that she also knew that was she wanted it to to translate both in english and in spanish in my last name she wanted it to be able to you know that you could pronounce it both in english and spanish easily and is that because both your parents spoke spanish growing up yeah well so I grew up in El Paso. There, you know, there was a lot of Mexican-American, Mexican uh, immigrants that moved there, and you know, especially in in the area where we lived. And then my parents spoke Spanish. I mean, they they were bilingual. My my family was bilingual, and so she was trying to make sure that it you could pronounce it in both languages instead of being a crystal or something. But, you know, she don't want a, a mixed match like that. She wants to make sure she could do it in both both ways. And how was it that you came to be an only child, Sandra? Um, my parents had told me that there's a couple of different stories they told me reasons why. One was that they had always, um, they had brothers and sisters. My dad is one of six and my mom is one of five. And my dad, he grew up very poor, and he said he hated having to, everything he had to, you know, sh- not just share, but, like, struggle to get, you know, be the first one to get the good, the, as you said, the good underwear off the the clothesline. And he told me stories about when his mother brought him home some girl sandals, and she, he had to wear them because... You know, that was all she could find at the Goodwill or wherever she went. And um, he was so embarrassed and humiliated. 
And then my mom, well, she said that she was a little better off, but no, she she noticed that the people in the neighborhood that had less kids, you know, had more things, were able to afford more material things. And, and she said that she wanted to do that. She wanted to have less kids from the beginning. She always had that in, on her mind. And then later, my mom told me that, she, she, later she told me that she would have probably liked to have had two, but it turned out that when she was pregnant with me, she was, I don't know exactly what, what kind of illness she had, but she said she was sick. It's probably the morning sickness, and she probably had that more than, more often than just the morning or longer than the time period you, you're supposed you usually have it. I think you have it in the first trimester or maybe the second. I don't know. But and then it's supposed to, you know, settle down. But I don't know. Maybe for her it didn't. I know she said that she broke out in a rash all over. That it was so bad. This woman actually turned around and sprayed her with something when they were standing in line in the bank because, you know, she was afraid. I guess of getting infected by her from the rash. But uh, so my dad said, you know, he's like, oh, no, we're not going to do this again. You got too sick and it was too hard. So we're not going to do that. And he went ahead and he he said, he said, I'll take care of it. And he went ahead and got a vasectomy. And that was it. That was that was it. That was it was permanent. There was no going back. I see. My dad never expressed saying that he would have liked that too or, or anything like that. He, he was fine. Um, my mom was the one who later said that she had thought that maybe two would have been okay, would have been nice to have. And so what was your relationship like with your parents? We were always a threesome. I always felt like you know, I would play on whenever we were together. They, they were big readers, so they would read in bed and I would play at the end of, of the bed in the in between them while they were reading. And we were we always went everywhere together. If they didn't if it was a, a place, I think one of my relatives was having a wedding and they said no kids. And so they she said, We just didn't go because I didn't want to leave you anywhere and but we, we just we just opted not to go. My dad and I got along really well. I identified, I guess, a lot with him. And because of because I identified a lot with my dad, I I got along well, well with boys. And my mom, she she stayed home. She would we would play a role play game game that I made up. I don't know why I called it a Mary and Grace. I would come and visit her. I would tell her, I'm gonna visit you, and I would bring my six kids. You know, I take my doll and my dolls over to see her, and I would ask her where her her kids were, and she would tell me she didn't have any kids, and I was appalled. I was like, you you have to have kids. You can't play without any kids. You have to have them. And she said, No, I don't have to have any. I'm not. I'm a career woman. I have my own business. And and she was cleaning while we were playing. She was cleaning um, the kitchen or something. And I was sitting with my kids. And she would say, I have my own business. And um, I would tell her, you, you can't. You have to have kids. Just the way it is, you just can't. And so she would argue with me and say, oh, nope, I don't. 
I don't have to. Wow. That's very progressive thinking for her time, I'm sure. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, it sounds like when you were very little, you did think it was important to have kids. As you got older, uh, did your thoughts on parenthood kind of evolve in any way? I always thought that I was going to be a mom. Like, it was just something that I was what I was going to be. I, I, I don't know if I really, but I also had in my mind that I was going to have a career. I think I grew up in the time that we were, we were told we could have it all, you know, we could be the full-time mom and be the full-time career woman. So maybe that's why I had that in my mind that it would just work out. That's just the way it was that if you wanted it, I could, you know, I could do that. Um, no, I wanted more than one, but I don't think I wanted six anymore by the time, you know, I was a teenager and in my twenties, <laughs> my mom would tell me that if I came over with her six kids to take care of that, she would hide. <laughs> Smart woman. Says, nope, I'm not home. She says, I'm not home. I said, you want to see your kids, your grandkids? And all six of them. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, I, I think later on, I thought that two would be nice, or two or three, maybe, maybe three, but two would be a good number. I don't think I wanted to have an only child. And why not? I wanted them to have a, a partner, I guess, that they knew was going to be there when I was gone, I guess. I mean, as much as I, I that we had ha uh, happy times and... and um, and I was very close to my parents. And, and now, as I'm older, I really appreciate our relationship. But there were times that I did feel lonely. And I think, you know, my mom got arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, really bad. It hit her all at once when I was about three years old. And we didn't think about it until later that, you know, we went through a grieving process. And it... um. I think all three of us kind of dealt with it in our own way, but we didn't deal with it together. And so I think sometimes that was part of what made it lonely. And so if I had had a, I think if I had had a sibling, maybe we could have you know, confided in each other and how we felt. Although, I mean, I was crazy. I talked to my mom a lot. She used to be able to sit with me and, and talk, you know, I would talk about my feelings and, she could sit there and, you know, just talk to me. But still, I think it would have been a different relationship, you know, with, to talk with a sibling. Absolutely. And so when did this idea of parenthood and, and the possibility of parenthood become more concrete for you? Well, I was married. I was married before I, I was married to my husband. My husband now, I got married, I think, in about, I went, um, about 26. And I thought that then that's when I, I thought I would have liked to have had, had a child. But my then husband, we were going out for about six years. I had thought that he had wanted, wanted kids. But I think it was, it was because his mom and his sister always said that they wanted a, wanted a, big, a little baby that looked like us. So maybe that's why I just thought that he was on board with that too. But he said he he was he was against it. He said he didn't want me to get pregnant. 
in about two years, I, I divorced him because he just didn't want to settle down. He wanted to be out and he wanted to be married in the sense that he would have somebody that was, you know, was, was home to have the privilege of being married because you always have that partner, that person. But he also wanted to be out, going out and, and with his friends. And so I, and, and he didn't want to get serious about a career or anything like that. So I finally, I, I just said I had had enough and just filed for a divorce and everything. And then I met my husband later. We met on a match.com. My cousin, who I was very close to, who I would have said was like my sister, I had all the benefits of my of having a sister, but she got to go home because my mom used to take care of her while my aunt was at work. And we are 14 years apart. She was she was murdered by her her father and she and my, and her mom, my aunt. And so I was. It was about. It was in 1990. No, it was in 2000 that this happened. And afterwards, you know, we went through our, my my dad and I and my mom. We kind of we cocooned. We were just the three of us against the world. We didn't hang around with you know the rest of the family, and we were especially close to them. So. We just, we took it a lot harder. So we just cocooned and they moved to Phoenix where I was because I decided I didn't want to go back to El Paso. But there was a certain point that in 2003 that I decided, you know, I wanted to meet somebody. I wanted to meet somebody. I wanted to get married. I wanted to have a family. And I knew in my mind what I wanted. I was going to, this time I was really I promised my cousin in the day of her funeral, I promised her that I would choose a dad. When I decided I was going to meet a husband, I wasn't necessarily looking for a husband or somebody who's falling in love with. I was looking for somebody who was going to be a good father that I could fall in love with. My husband was kind of taken aback when I told him that. He said, well, I guess he didn't think that sounded particularly romantic, but you know, sometimes we fall in love with somebody that isn't necessarily would make down the line. We see that they wouldn't make a good dad or something, but we're just looking at, you know, the romantic stuff. So I, I wanted to make a conscious decision as to who he was and who his family was. I had read an article. <laughs> I don't even remember where, but this woman, I decided to, to an online dating site, and she was going to date 100 men so that she could find her her prince among the frogs. And so I said, that's what I'm going to do. And I said to myself, I said, but I'm not going to kiss anybody until I decide that they're the ones that I want to date. And it was fun, actually. I, I would go out, I would have you know coffee or lunch date, and then I would have a, maybe a dinner date later sometimes. And so I met my then I met my husband, and what attracted me to him is when I told him about what had happened in my family. He he listened and then and he he shared something that had happened in his family that was tragic and and he always you know he, he would always listen to me. He didn't he didn't say because you know it was only three years away and it was still it was a traumatic loss. So it was still. It was still kind of fresh, and he'd always listen, and he'd never say, 
well, is you know, isn't it time that you get over it or or imply that? Then I met his parents, and his parents were a lot like mine. They were big readers, and um, his dad had been a teacher, and I I have been a teacher, so we had a lot in common, and his parents were pretty calm. So, how long between your meeting um, and your marriage? We met, I guess, December 3rd, and then we were engaged by March. And we got married in October of the, of the next year. So it wasn't long at all. But then that the following year, I had a stroke. Yeah, so I, I know that within a year of your getting married, you had a pretty big medical crisis. So tell me... Tell me what that experience was like for you, and how did it impact your health? Well, I had um, it was a bleed, it was a bleed. I had a what they call a third, um, it was a what is the arterial malformation, arterial vascular malformation, and what is it a little cluster of of veins or capillaries sometimes, and they leaked. They just they were just weak, and it leaked into into my brain, which caused caused the stroke. And so then, um, and it was it was pretty large. It was the size of a fifty cent piece. I was lucky to survive it. I was in I was in the hospital for something else, and I was being checked out by the doctor. They were it was a stomach problem that I had. They were going to take me down to get the, an endoscopy. And he happened to come in and said he wanted to check me out. I was talking and I was, you know, he was asking me to do things. And then all of a sudden they said I had stopped. And he would ask me to raise my arm, my, my left arm, and I would raise the right one. And he was getting, I could, I could hear him getting um, louder and kind of speaking faster. And I didn't understand why he was getting so mad at me because I was cooperating. But I guess he, he suspected that I had had a stroke right before his eyes. And he did say that he had been a doctor for 22 years and he had never, ever experienced somebody having a stroke right before him. My left side uh, was paralyzed. And in the beginning, I couldn't use it at all. I couldn't walk. I couldn't walk for about six months. And it, it, was, it was so funny. I didn't know this could happen to you, but it, my left side, it's like everything was skewed. I would sit up and I would fall over. They would have me. I had to learn how to sit up again because my my equilibrium was off. So I would just I would just roll over like an egg. <laughs> wow. And um, we, you know, of course we weren't thinking of having kids or anything. And we had planned on we said, well, you know, we'll be married a year and then because we were already older, so we said, you know, we'll get married a year and then we'll we'll have our kids. We had planned on kids. With, we had all these plans. Um, but the first year was really tough because I couldn't walk. And he, literally, he had um, the family, I think at that time, the family leave act had been made. And so he was able to take the three, three months off until I was able to take care of myself at home. And it was hard. To, um, we had planned on traveling and it, it was tough to travel 
but what was what was even harder than the the physical the physical disability was that I hadn't realized that that a stroke was a brain injury, and so I went through a lot of mood changes and um, impulse control, or sometimes I would say exactly what was I was thinking. So it was it was really tough and. Well, it crossed my mind of uh, how now am I supposed to be a mom? How is that going to work? <laughs> the doctors had said that I would be able to get pregnant, that I wouldn't have a problem having a stroke again. So that was a relief to all of us. But we went to see a fertility doctor. And so we went to see somebody and he said that he wanted me to be checked out by a high-risk pregnancy doctor to see if if there was a risk and um, they they determined that there would be that I could possibly have a stroke again and but this time worse that I could die and or that the baby and I could both die and I just wasn't willing to I really thought about it and I said you know I don't want to get pregnant that bad that I would risk leaving my child without a mom or leaving my husband without a wife and a child, you know, how horrible would that be for him? So we decided that we wouldn't do that. And the fertility doctor was talking to us about maybe having a surrogate, but he was against it. <clears throat> he said he didn't, he didn't want to do that. He was, he was more afraid of, at the time, we would hear a lot of the stories about the surrogate deciding that she wanted, she was going to fight to keep the baby or you know, things like that. So we, I, I just said, okay, we didn't. So we thought about some more and we looked into adoption. But before we did that, <clears throat> that, the doctor had said that it would be a good idea for me to have my, um, have some kind of permanent birth control because, you know, Murphy's Law. So I went ahead and I, I did that. And I had to grieve over that because I thought, even though, you know, even even if you just thought you weren't going to have any kids, when the choice is taken away from you, you know, it, it's just so different. I always admired a woman who could decide and go against what society expects or family expects or, or you've been, you expect of yourself and decide, you know, I'm not going to have any children. You know, but that was, that was taken from me. So I really had a hard time. And my mom brought up the idea that, or, or told me she's that she didn't think that I she didn't realize that I was having such a hard time with it and that she she just thought because since I was a child I said I was going to adopt children and I had forgotten about that she said we well, always said you were going to adopt kids and one of the reasons I also said it too is I was afraid of getting pregnant and going through a pregnancy and um once we decided we would we would go ahead and adopt. And it was a it was a journey to I mean to think of that because we were talking, we would go to um we had to go to a class. We went through Catholic charities and we'd go to a class and they talk to you about different scenarios that could happen and, and how you had to think about, you know, the child of adopting the child that you can best raise. And for and it it's an open adoption. So they brought in talked about what it what that meant my husband and I we had a discussion once we're talking about and he says well I'm not worried about myself 
as far as our child having birth parents or anything like that. He goes, I'm more worried about you. And I said, me, why? And he says, well, because you don't like to share. Because I think it's an only child thing. <laughs> I said, really, you think so? And he goes, no, he goes, you got to think about it. And so I really, you know, I thought about it. It, it kind of made me, you know, pause. Like, well, what does sharing have to do anything with it? And, you know, I thought about it. At that time, I was watching Grey's Anatomy and the other show that spun off. She, um, she had adopted a baby. And she came to the conclusion that her baby had two mothers. Through the show, they had, she was unfolding this idea and how she was accepting it. And I thought, I thought about it and said, that's true. You know, there isn't, there isn't just the one mother. She, she, my baby's my going to have two mothers. And it didn't mean that one was any less than the other. And so I kind of, I kind of accepted that and I was, I was fine with it. Yeah. And what was it like for you and your husband when you brought her home? It was amazing because we, you know, we had been on the list, I think. We got on the list. I think we had gone on, on a two lists. You had to get on. They, they would pick 20 and then they, then you would go down to the top 10 and they would present your birth mother letters to them, to the birth mother. And she picked there. And so we were wait, waiting and waiting. And then all of a sudden it was like, we got a phone call. They said, but she wants to, she doesn't want to meet you. She didn't want to meet the birth parents. So we said, okay. And then they called back and they said, she does want to meet you. So then we went, we went down about a couple, few days later, we went to meet her and we got along really well. And, and it was, it was really nice meeting. And then that night they said we could go visit her. And so we went and it was just amazing to, to see her and she was so tiny and I was afraid to pick her up. I had been, since my stroke, I was, I had picked up babies and was able to pick them up because I didn't have use, I don't have use of my left arm very well. But I was kind of self-conscious to do it in front of people. But I did, and it was just, it was amazing just to hold her and that she was going to be come, coming home with us. So next day, we, we took our car seat and everything to go pick her up. When we came home, on the way home, it's true what they say, that I've heard people say that it just seems like the traffic is faster and that people are driving crazier and you're trying to make sure and be so cautious as you're going down because down the road because you don't want anything to happen to them. And she was so quiet the first the first few hours that we brought her home. And so my parents came over and they saw her and they held her and visited her. And then, then that night we were alone with her and she screamed her head off that night. <laughs> and now, now I think it was, I think it was just too much stimulation because, you know, she came from, one house to the next and then my parents were here and I think it was too much stimulation so she screamed her we were up until I think four in the morning we made the mistakes that all parents make when they first because I think a week later she was asleep during the day or, or she took a nap during the evening and we thought oh great we can do this and that and so we decided to do other things besides sleep and of course, that night she didn't want to sleep. So then we were up. <laughs> we were up. We didn't. Take, and we said, "Oh, this is why they tell you 
sleep when the baby sleeps. Don't resist the urge to do the laundry or something else. Yeah, we didn't do that again. We we did we relaxed when she was asleep. <laughs> wow. So at the time that you adopted your daughter, did you think about if you wanted to adopt two instead of one? I did. <laughs> so because we went when we were going through um, the classes, we also we also went through the classes for the foster foster care. They would talk about adopting siblings that. And I said, well, that would be that would be good because then we could get them all at once. By this time, we we were forty and forty one, so we thought, well, we'll just get you know, we'll tell them all at once that we can get the siblings set. And now I think to myself, thank God we didn't. <laughs> I don't know how we would have done it with three, three or something. But yeah, I have I did think of that, and then we also thought about. Our adoption counselor said, you know, do you want to renew your, your adoption certificate? Because you have to be certified before you adopt, before you adopt it. During the process, you have to go get that, that paperwork done. And so she said, you know, it takes a while, so do you want to keep, keep it renewed? Once you have it, all you have to do is renew it, and it doesn't take as long. And this way, you'll already have it, and it's opportunity comes up you're on the list and you can adopt but we said no we said we didn't think that we had to be realistic about you know us we about our our age and not so much that because i know there are a lot of people that that you know are are, are older but yet are, are very active but i had to think about you know my my physical limitations and so we said, yeah, we wouldn't, we couldn't, we wouldn't do, we wouldn't um, adopt more than one. And how has it been for you as an only child yourself to be raising another only child? You know, sometimes I, I think I sympathize I with her too much in the sense that it makes me want to be, I guess, too lenient or too, um, because I remember, you know, having to play by myself or feeling lonely. And so then I want to let her, let her get off on whatever she did or say, okay, you know, I'll, I'll play with you. Or, I mean, and we do, we play with her a lot, but a lot of times she wants to, she, won't, she doesn't want to be alone at all. And so, well, I feel sad for her. I also think to myself, well, how do you know? I got to teach her that she 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 needs to be that she can play by herself, but it's hard because I you know I feel I feel I feel for her at the same time. Do you ever think about how when you were growing up, your mother was diagnosed so young with rheumatoid arthritis, and that was something that had some physical limitations for her when you were growing up and your having had a stroke, you know, it impacted your mobility as well. And does any of that, any of your parenting today kind of remind you of what it must have been like in part for your mom to parent you? Oh, yeah. Now I, I understand so much more about what she was going through. And so I try to, um, I try to explain to my daughter 
why it is that I'm not in a good mood or something um, or why I can't do something. I try to explain to her uh, what's happening or what's, what's going on. Cause my mom didn't, she w wasn't, but she just kind of retreated into herself when she was in pain or she felt, you know, she was feeling sick day. And um, as she explained it later, she, my, my, my grandmother was the same way too. They could just remove themselves from whoever they wanted to, they didn't mind. They would just could retreat, retreat within themselves and not talk to you or not. And and so I, I I try my best not to be that way with her. I can catch myself when I get upset with her or something, and I just want to. Um, I can't get her to do to um, behave or something. I want to do the same thing because I know it worked on me. Then I was trying, but it, it also made me want to jump through any hoops to get, to make sure I was on the right side of my mom, I guess you'd say, um, that she approved. I guess I started, to, I was a little insecure. So then I make myself, I snap, snap out of it. I, I'll, I'll tell her I need a little time um, to myself because I'm upset. You know, I'm upset with you and, and things are good. So I need a little time out for myself. And then, you know, I hope that that helps her learn. And she does. Sometimes she'll say, I'm, I'm really angry. I'm going to my room. I need some time. So she'll go to her room and, and try to calm down. But I, and I try to do those things and just talk to her as much. Or when I get frustrated with her and, and tired, I always remind myself how much my mother did for me and how, how she, even though she was going through everything, she was. She still was there for me and did things. She still did, you know, iron for me or, you know, made sure I had, made sure to take me to school or to swim practice or, you know, so I always say you know, that I'm, I'm not going to give my daughter any less. So I always make an effort to go the extra step by, you know, going to her karate classes to watch her and things like that. Like I said, I, I had it, so I'm not going to deny her that. I think your story is so incredible because you were so resilient in, in, in so many different ways, like, you know, being a stroke survivor, not letting the residual health effects impact your decision, your kind of lifelong idea of wanting to be a mom. I, I just think it's so inspirational. So I really thank you for coming on to the podcast today, Sandra. Oh, you're welcome.